Um, well, the video you just saw is my daughter, and uh, it was taken about four and a half years ago. So she is a teenager now, and if she were here with me, she would not let me show you that video because she's a serious teenager now, and that's kind of a little kid. So, um, um, But one of the reasons why I'm here is to say thank you for your faithfulness to missions and to missionaries. When you give to the World Evangelism Fund and offerings, one of the ways that you have touched our family directly is this young lady, Sophia. Um, so thank you very much. She is a very normal teenage girl, very active. She's athletic. She plays basketball and volleyball. She, as she said, she's in school play. She was uh, the lead, one of the lead roles in the, in the, in the middle school play. Uh, the high school play, the, the lead role was uh, Josh Skinner, by the way. So, um, um, But she is a very normal girl. So thank you very much for the way that you've touched our family by giving to missions and giving to the medical plan and missions. You have uh, touched us forever. So part of the reason why I'm here is to say thank you for that and also to say thank you for what you do all over the world, um, especially in and uh, what you've done in the CIS, uh, um, fantastic. So thank you for uh, what you've done. Sending out, I think, two families at least, there may be more. Um, awesome. So it's good to be with you. Um, um, what I want to do today is talk about people who do great things for God. People who do great things for God. I'm going to talk about Central Europe, and that's the my area of ministry. And... Um, God is calling some people in Central Europe to do some pretty amazing things and get, get involved in some pretty amazing ministries. And so I'm talking about um, people who do great things for God. What do you do? What do you do if you feel like God is asking you to do something that is impractical, unreasonable, or maybe impossible? Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt that what God was asking you to do was impractical, unreasonable, or maybe impossible? Anybody felt that way? Have you ever felt like what God is asking you to do is bigger than what you think you can do? That's the kind of God we serve. If we serve a God that only asks us to do what we can do, where is God? Where is God? But we serve a God who continually, who often calls us to do big things that are bigger than we are ourselves. That when we look at them, when we sit down and we take a moment, they look impractical, unreasonable, impossible. What do we do when this happens? Oftentimes we begin to make excuses, don't we? We're overwhelmed a little bit and say, God, I don't know if that's for me. You, you want me to do that? Um, you know, maybe the, the thing that you're calling me to or the ministry or, or maybe you're reaching out to a group of people that may, maybe are less fortunate and you may be tend, to, tend to say, um, you know, that it's, maybe it's someone else's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. And sometimes we, we say, okay, um, God, uh, I, there's no way I don't have the resources to, to, to be involved in that ministry or to do what you're asking me to do. Um, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resource. So it can't be me. But what do we do when God asks us to do something big, impractical, unreasonable, and when you look at it, 
impossible. What do we do? What we ask of missionaries is just that. We ask missionary families, we ask missionary families to leave their family, right? To leave what they know, to leave what's familiar, to leave possibilities in their home culture, and to move far away places to uh, places that have different cultures, different customs, the people speak different languages. And what we ask missionaries to do is to get to know people and to, um, and to make relationships in such a way that people will want to know about Jesus Christ. And we tell our missionaries, we want you to tell those other people about Jesus Christ. We want you to plant churches. We want you to uh, build buildings. We want you to train pastors. We want you to translate literature. Uh, we want you to, to transform a group of people. Or a nation. That seems impractical, doesn't it? That seems impossible, doesn't it? God is asking us to do some big things. So my role is to work with uh, missionaries, to work with uh, national pastors and leaders in Central Europe, which covers 11 countries at the moment. And uh, and when God begins to speak with to them about what he about the plans, about His will, about His what he wants to do in that place um, often seems big and impractical. And my job is to oversee, to uh, resource, to encourage. So somebody has a big idea and they say, and I say, well, God bless you. It seems big. Don't know, we don't have really the resources for that, but God bless you. So my question today, if you haven't heard it yet, <laughs> is what do we do? when God asks us to do something big. Something impractical, unreasonable, impossible. What do we do? There is a passage of Scripture that uh, Jesus asks His disciples to do something impossible. It was not possible to do. It's a very familiar story. And if you've been around the church for very long, if you have gone to Sunday school or Bible school, you may have seen this story in flannel graph or on the, the, the pictures. But what I want you to do today, as we read the story, don't think, oh yes, I know the story, I know what's going to happen. Try to listen to the story as if you're hearing it for the first time. Listen to what's happening in the story. The story takes place, um, Jesus had just sent his disciples out, two by two, and he had given them instructions, don't take too much with you, and um, um, preach, preach the kingdom of God, and heal the sicknesses. And the disciples had gone out, and they'd done what Jesus said, and great things had happened. It was amazing. Wonderful story, wonderful things had happened, and the uh, stories of what happened even reached the king, King Herod. And King Herod was asking questions about what are these people doing, and he wanted to know what, what they were, were up to. Um, the idea was that they would come back together and have some time together with Jesus, at a, at a remote place, and they could go through what they had just experienced, that's very good methodology, right? You have some, you're sent out, and you go back and have time to reflect, and you can learn more, and all of those good things. However, the people, the people found out where Jesus was, and the people started gathering around Jesus in, the, in a multitude. Oh, the people. There's always people. We have great plans we have great ideas, but there's always people. 
There are always people. And so Jesus, instead of um, telling him, you know, the plan is we're supposed to be here and have this time with together and sorry, but I can't help you. Jesus began to minister to the people. He began to speak with them. And he began to heal the, the sicknesses that were among them. And then listen to the story. It's in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse starting in verse 10 and going to verse 17. Listen to this story. Again, you know this story, but listen to it as if you're hearing it for the first time. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves uh, to a town called Bethsaida, because the crowd, but be, excuse me, but the crowds learned about it and followed them. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the, the twelve came to him and said, "Send the crowd away, so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging." because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You've heard that story before, haven't you? That's a very familiar story. Uh, But there was a problem, wasn't there? The people had been with Jesus. They were in a remote place. There weren't many places to, to to, to, to purchase food there. There were no Subways or Chick fil A's or whatever there. They were in a remote place. So the disciples came to Jesus and said, we have a problem. And the problem was very real. The people had been there all day. They were tired and hungry. They needed nourishment. And uh, the disciples said, we've got to do something. The disciples came up with a solution, didn't they? They knew what needed to happen. The The solution that the disciples came up with was, send the people away. Send them away. But with Jesus, the solution is never send the people away. Jesus, the solution is never send the people away. But the disciples said, Jesus, the only thing that we can do here is send the people away. Right? Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You can imagine what the disciples were thinking, can't you? Uh, Jesus, um, hello. There are 5,000 men here and wives and children. There are a lot of people here. Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Um, Jesus... (laughs) We could do that, but then we'd have to go into town and we'd have to buy the food. And uh, in another one of the pastors has said it would take eight months of wages to feed all of this people, all of these people. Jesus, we can't do that. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. 
You give them something to do. Jesus, um, do you understand what you're asking us to do is physically impossible. We cannot feed 5,000 people. We cannot do it. It's impossible. We don't have the resources. We, there's no way that we can do it. But Jesus said, you give them something to, to eat. Jesus, do you understand at all? We can't do what you're asking us to do. You give them something to eat. So the disciples finally eventually said, all right, how do you want to do this? And there are three things that happened in this passage. It's amazing. Three things. The first thing that happened was, and this is what we can learn when Jesus asks us to do something that we feel is too big for us, impossible. The first thing that happened was they brought what they had to Jesus so that he could bless it. They brought what they had to Jesus. Jesus, you have asked us to feed 5,000 people. We have five loaves and two fish. If you can do anything with that, God bless you. <laughs> if you can do it, this is what we have. The first thing when Jesus asks you to do something big, impossible, unreasonable, is first of all, give yourself to him. Give what you have to him and say, Jesus, I understand you're asking me this, but what I have is this. You can have it. Whatever you can do with it for your glory, okay. Give what you have to Jesus. The second thing is kind of uh, strange. Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups of 50. Now that's pretty strange, isn't it? There were 5,000 people there, and if you have five loaves and two fish, it doesn't matter how you arrange the chairs. You still don't have enough food, right? In fact, you don't even have enough food for the first group of 50, let alone all the rest of the people. But the disciples did what Jesus said. Now, what is going on here? What difference does it make to organize the people in groups of 50? I think Jesus is telling us something here. I think he's saying, have faith. Begin to think, what if God were going to do a miracle? How would you organize? How would it happen if God were to do something miraculous? And they began to organize as if God would do something miraculous. That's what we need to do in our lives. Give God what you have. And if God is asking, well, we don't know how this, but if it could happen, the first step might be and we begin to think about what's important. And so the people were sitting in groups of 50, and Jesus blessed the, the, the five loaves and, and, and two fish, and the, next, and the third thing that happened was they started passing out food. They started to do what Jesus asked them to do. So he said, okay, Peter, come here. There's five loaves and two fish. Take a little bit of the bread and a little bit of the fish and start passing it out to the first person and come back. Right? So Peter takes a little bread and fish and comes back. And guess what? There's a little more left over. Break it off again, take some more fish and take it to the next. Every time they come back, there's enough for the next person. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So the third thing, when Jesus asks us to do something that's big, is simply be obedient and start to do what he asks us to do. 
We don't know how it's going to be done. We don't know what the resources are. But be faithful and obedient to do what He has asked us to do and see what happens. The Scripture does not say when the miracle happened. It says there were five loaves and two fish. It says they passed out to the people. And it says there were 12 basketfuls left over. Can you imagine the, the disciples as, when they started saying, wait, I've given about five or six. There shouldn't be anything left over, but they're still... And then they kept giving bread and fish out. That's what God is calling us to do. Well, in uh, Central Europe, on our field, which covers um, 11 countries, um, God is beginning to call some people to, to be involved in some very big things. And it's very exciting. Um, Central Europe, the 11 countries, um, there are, um, in 10 of those 11 countries, the Church of the Nazarene has existed for less than 20 years. In all 11 of those countries, um, we don't have any more than five organized churches in any of those countries. In Bulgaria, uh, we have uh, about 15 churches that are on the, in the process, but no other place do we have more than five organized churches. So it's very small and developing, and the task before us is pretty much the same. Find a way to, to meet the needs of people, to, uh, to build relationships, to tell people about Jesus Christ, and to plant churches, right? There are some people that are doing that in big ways. You know Bob and Colleen. I think you've heard them. They've been, they were here this summer, weren't they? Yes. And Bob is still somewhere. I think he's in Texas today. Um, you've heard about them and what they're doing. Um, their new assignment is Poland, and they have a big job ahead of them. <laughs> a big job. And that's exciting. Um, currently, Poland uses a strategy of coffee house coffee shops and reaching people through that. And so they will work through that and they will need to develop other ways to reach the nation of Poland for Jesus Christ. Do you think Bob and Colleen can reach the nation of Poland, can make a difference of the na in the nation of Poland for Jesus Christ? That's a big task. Bob's a big guy, but that's a big task. That may seem unreasonable, Impossible. But that's what God is calling Bob and Colleen to do. Make a difference in the, in the people of Poland. There's another guy in the country of Kosovo. You, you remember Kosovo? You remember the conflict that happened uh, 10, 15 years ago? And um, what, what's happening there? There's a guy from Nampa, and his name is Glenn Noble. Have you, and I don't know if you've heard of him. This guy is crazy. Let me just say, before I tell this story, he is crazy. He's nuts. He's gone. He's crazy. God is asking him to affect the country of Kosovo. It's a small country, just about 2 million people. Um, it's, uh, the land mass is not that big, but they have arranged the country of Kosovo in 13 um, like counties. It would be larger. Maybe it might be as big as this county, but large counties. Um, in, in, uh, in, the, in the country. Um, Glenn uh, has, is feeling that uh, um, God is calling him to um, an approach called business as mission. Glenn is a tent maker missionary, which means unlike the Skinners or unlike us, they don't receive a salary from the church. They go and he has created a job that he supports himself and he also ministers through the church, uh, to the people there. Amazing. 
Bob, or uh, excuse me, Glenn thinks that he can affect the country of Kosovo through a business model. That's absolutely crazy. Because Eastern Europe, to try to do business in Eastern Europe is crazy in itself. Kosovo is a country that's a, that declared their independence from Serbia four years ago, four and a half years ago, and all of, the, all of their institutions are developing, but it's crazy. Here's his idea. Glenn is a, um, he's a technology specialist. He's an electrical, electrical engineer, and I don't even know how to describe what the guy does, but they make computer chips and other technology, any kind of electrical stuff. He gets uh, projects from all over the, the world, mostly from Europe, uh, companies that want some kind of computer chip, and he develops the program. I don't know what he does. I don't know what he does. Something like that. Uh, he used to work for Micron and for HP, uh, so he, he's, a, he's a bright guy. He has started a business in Kosovo, and um, he lives in Pristina, the capital, and Pristina has a university that also has um, trained students in electrical engineering, and um, so they have students that come from all over that small country. They come to the capital, Pristina, and they study. Glenn has worked out a deal with the university that they can do their practical hands-on study at his facility. So every semester he takes 25 to 30 students and they can do their practical study on his machines, his equipment, and he gets to work with them for the whole semester. Then Glenn will hire, um, he has hired some people to work in a, in a for-profit business that he started. Um, absolutely crazy. Glenn's idea is this. He can pick the best, and they have people from all over the country. And so what he has done, he has picked at least one person from each of the 13 regions of Kosovo that he hires in his business. He's working with them for a couple of years, and they, the idea is that they will be able to go back to their hometowns or home villages, and they will have a way of uh, supporting themselves, and we may have an opportunity to follow them and plant a church. And by doing that, we'll have churches all over the country of Kosovo. That is absolutely crazy. That is a crazy idea. But you know, Glenn Noble now is the largest employer of women in the technology sector in the country of Kosovo. He's already making a big difference. Would it be possible that Glenn Noble through a business-as-mission model, could affect the country of Kosovo for Jesus Christ. That seems like impractical, unreasonable, impossible. Well, we had a good time last night in the corner cup. Uh, right here on the corner, there was a cup that's right on the corner. That's nice. Very well named. We talked about human trafficking. And uh, I won't give that whole story, but uh, we have a, our pastor's wife in, in Romania is a manager of a foundation that deals with women that have been trafficked, Romanian women that have been tra trafficked that come back to Romania. Uh, their stories are unbelievable, terrible. But her idea is that she can make a difference in these ladies' lives um, through ministering to them. That may sound impossible impractical and unreasonable that God would ask our pastor's wife to affect an issue, an ugly, terrible, big issue like human trafficking.
that she could make any difference. Seems impossible. In Bulgaria, I told a little bit of the story of this of a lady called Jana. She was our babysitter. We have I have four girls, and she became the Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Director for for Bulgaria. And she decided to work with a school that was about an hour and a half outside of Sofia. I told the story last night, but it's a it's a Roma school. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's a Roma school. It's a Gypsy school, and Jana is now living in that in, near that town, and ministering to those people the Roma people, and people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Their lives are being transformed, and others around them are noticing that they're different and asking that, they, that she comes to their village as well. The Roma, the gypsies, have hundreds of years of tragic, sad history. They have a completely different worldview than you do and than I do. But do you think that God could ask Jana to do something that would transform a group of Roma people for Jesus Christ? It seems impossible, impractical, unreasonable. What do we do? What do we do? One more thing I want you to notice from the story. It's very interesting. Uh, you remember from the flannel graph the story, I know. Remind me, where did the five loaves and two fish come from? A boy, a little child, a boy. Isn't that amazing? None of those adults had their food with them? One little boy? You know, the boy in Luke chapter 9 that I read to you today, it does not mention where the food comes from. It does not, he is not mentioned in the story. In the other Gospels, they do mention a little boy, but he's not a part of the, the, the group of people that were counted. Only the men were counted, not the women and children. Isn't that amazing? The need of this of these five this overwhelming impossible need five thousand people. The need was met through the lunch of a little boy. Because and he was unmentioned and uncounted, little boy. What if that little boy would have said, "I'm not going to give you my lunch. What difference will my little lunch make to this huge?" problem that you've got to feed these 5,000 people. My lunch will make zero difference to these 5,000 people, but my lunch will help me, help me get through the day. What if the little boy said, I'm keeping my lunch. <laughs> it's going to help me, but it's not going to make any difference for that big problem called feeding all these 5,000 people. That would have been logical, reasonable, and uh, you could have understood that. But the boy gave his lunch. He gave his lunch. And Jesus blessed it. And it was through the boy giving his lunch that they met the need of 5,000 people. Isn't that amazing? 5,000 people were taken care of because the little boy gave his lunch. Will you give your lunch? Will you give your lunch? We have some big things standing in front of us. Poland, <laughs> Kosovo, uh, human trafficking, transforming the Roma people that live in many millions of them, several million of them live in our, in our countries, and other things. How in the world are we going to do that? That's impossible. We are praying for a feeding of the 5,000 type miracle to happen right before our eyes. 
How are we going to how are we going to make that difference? How are we going to do something impossible like that? We're going to do all that we can. But will you give your lunch? We're asking people literally to give their lunch. Literally, give your lunch. We're not asking for thousands of dollars. Well, if you have thousands of dollars, well, whatever. But we're not asking for that. We're asking people to get involved simply by giving your lunch. What do I mean by giving your lunch? I mean, once a month, instead of going out to a nice lunch, you take that time to pray for the needs of Central Europe, um, through, for what the Skinners are doing in Poland, for the things that we've talked about, all of these human trafficking and the Roma people, Pray, take that time, instead of eating your lunch, and take that time to pray specifically for the needs of Central Europe. Also, the amount of money that you would have spent on that lunch, $8, $10, send it in. It's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. But we're asking that people would get involved and give their lunch once a month. Does that make sense? We are praying that God would take that little bread and fish, or whatever you're going to have for lunch, and again, he would bless it and multiply it, and it would meet the need that we're faced in Central Europe. Is that crazy? We need your help. We're asking you to give your lunch. Not something huge or big. In the back there, there's this nice uh, display that somewhere we picked up. I'm not sure where we got that display. I don't know. Actually, someone here, Greg, helped us with the display. It's beautiful. Um, and it's been a blessing. We have a display that, sh that shows the countries of, of where we're talking about and some pictures that are there. Um, we also have some dolls and some little angels, uh, stained glass angels. The dolls are made by Roma ladies, gypsy ladies, in our church in Sigmandru, Romania, near Sigishwara, right near where uh, Dracula was born. Very interesting. Um, but uh, we, every, every time we come back, we take some for them. And uh, these, this is all I have left. I go back tomorrow. I don't want to take them back with me. If you would uh, give a little do donation for that, you can have a doll. Or you can also have one of the, um, the stained glass uh, angels. The angels were made by a Nazarene guy in Croatia. And I would say if you uh, decide to give your lunch... Um, write, I don't have paper, I need to get some paper. I'm a little disoriented today, but give me your, um, give me your email address and we will get you on our email list. Uh, there's a large, there are prayer cards are back there and there's a larger card on the back will tell you about how you can help giving your lunch. If you commit to giving your lunch, just take one of the angels. That will be a reminder for you. Look at that and, uh, it will be a reminder that you can give your lunch. Um, we are excited about what God is doing in our world today. And we're excited about being a part of, over there, uh, being, being able to be a part on that side. But we, we are a team in what God is doing in the world today. And we thank you for how you've been tremendous team members in the past with your support of missions and sending out your best and brightest and best people to be involved in mission. And um, thank you for, for what you've done. And we pray that God would bless you as you continue to be faithful for missions. Thank you very much. God bless you.